We've been on a, on a roll here lately, been on a roll with um, just, just what the Lord's been giving as far as what's been preached from the stage, from uh, Corey and me and others uh, that's just been going on. But really there's been a theme starting with like good father, then his presence, um, going into seeking him, seeking him first and what that looks like, a revival of his presence. Last week about the promises, um, the, the process, and the pressing in. And uh, you know there's a promise of LifeWise to be at the schools, right? There's a process which sometimes there's these distractions and there's that process and, and, and at times there's this uncertainty of where are we going to meet, what's going to happen, right? Are the funding, is the funding going to be there? Are the schools going to support it? But every time as we lean in and have faith and trust, the God, trust God, I watched the board meeting online from my house. And I remember there was this amazing, there's this incredible shift. All of a sudden, it's like going, it's good, 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 good. Then boom, a, a, like a bombshell goes off and now there's opposition. And they're going to table it and all these things. And I remember just praying. We had our intercessors praying. And I remember just something all of a sudden shifted in the room. I, I started weeping from my living room because all of a sudden you said it, it went from appealing and, and maybe tabling to, all right, let's just pass it now. And all of a sudden there was a shift because there was pressing in in prayer. There was this pressing in, knowing that the promise is there, even though the process may not have revealed some good favorable news, right? But that's where trust and faith and all these things happen in that pressing in. So today I'm just going to go just a little deeper, squeeze a little bit more. Um, Nicole and I, we were, we were been traveling a little bit lately. And one of the, when we were traveling, um, I heard uh, a word preached from Nehemiah. And there was some, some stuff taken from there. So I went to Nehemiah 13 and got a bunch of stuff. Um, so we're talking about presence, pressing in, all this stuff, right? Um, today, everybody say, get your house in order. Come on, say it like you mean it. <laughs> Nehemiah 12. We're going to start at the end of Nehemiah 12 and go into all of 13. Um, I know there's some guests here, some visitors, some new folks. Uh, we may not be what you're used to. Our, our, we might have some exuberant worship. Uh, but just know this, by the end of this service, you're going to know we love Jesus here. We love Holy Spirit. We love freedom. And uh, we love worship. Um, so sometimes it's good to be uncomfortable. And sometimes the preaching may make us uncomfortable. My, my, Nicole's grandfather told me, he's like, you have a gift. And uh, I was young. I was like, what, what are you talking about? What's, tell me. And he's an old man that I really respected and honored. And... Uh, been, been a Christian, you know, so many decades and stuff. And he said, you have a gift to make the comfortable uncomfortable and the uncomfortable comfortable. He's like, not many guys can do that and you have that gift. And I just, I held that into my heart um, because I'll, I'll take that. I'll take that. I'm okay to make comfortable, uncomfortable, and uncomfortable comfortable. Uh, so Nehemiah 12, starting at 44, provisions for the temple worship. On that day, men were appointed to be in charge of the storerooms for the offerings, the first part of the harvest and the tithes. They were responsible to collect from the fields outside the towns the portions required by the law for the priests and Levites. Now, 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 just put your guard down. I'm not going to ask for your tithes and offerings today. All right, We're not going to go there in this. Maybe a little bit, but not much. For all the people of, of Judah took joy in the priests and Levites and their work. They performed the service of their God in the service of purification as commanded by David and his son Solomon. And so did the singers and the gatekeepers. The custom of having choir directors to lead the choirs and hymns of praise and thanksgiving to God began long ago in the days of David and Asaph. So now in the days of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, sorry, and, the, and of, we'll say Nehemiah today, but it's more probably like Nehemiah, okay? 
And uh, all of Israel brought a daily supply of food for the singers, the gatekeepers, and the Levites. The Levites, in turn, gave a portion of what they received to the priests and the descendants of Aaron. All right, now we're moving into to, to, to Nehemiah 13, all right? Now here, this is kind of a weird, obviously very, it gets really strange at the end. That's kind of been the storyline. Ezra to Nehemiah, that was kind of written as actually one, one book. It, it's, it's oftentimes together, but we've separated it. And, and you have these three kind of reigns. They're rebuilding Jerusalem. You have um, Zerubbabel, Ezra, then Nehemiah, okay? And what's happening is one kind of rebuilt the temple, then the culture, and then Nehemiah rebuilt the walls. And he's going in, okay? And now what happens is as the cat's away, what will happen? Mice will play. So kind of like when Moses was up on the mountain, we were talking last week, Aaron just kind of lost his mind. And he just, like the gold calf came about and all kinds of stuff. So here we go. On that same day as the book of Moses was being read to the people, the passage was found that said, no Ammonite or Moabite should ever be permitted to enter the assembly of God. For they had not provided the Israelites with food and water in the wilderness. Instead, they hired Balaam to curse them. Though our God turned the curse into a blessing, when this passage of the law was read, all those of foreign de descent were immediately excluded from the assembly. A amen, that Jesus came, all right, and, and, and individuals aren't forbidden from the assembly to gather around Jesus, amen? Jesus kind of, he, he, he took care of the law, his blood covered it, right? But we're getting into some things here that talk about the importance of the temple, the importance of order, and the importance of what the heart of the house is. So here we go. Before Now, all of a sudden, Nehemiah is gone. The priest in charge lets him have, they clear out the storeroom. They clear out where the offerings are and where the priestly garments and things are. They clear that out. Now, this guy's just kind of like hanging out in there. <clears throat> Let's move on. The room had previously been used for storing the grain offerings, frankincense, various articles for the temple, and the tithes of grain, new wine, and olive oil which were prescribed for the Levites, the singers, and the gatekeepers, as well as the offerings for the priest. I was not in Jerusalem at the time, for I had returned to King um, Artaxerxes of Babylon. I got to get out of the Old Testament, folks. It's tearing me up. In the 32nd year of the reign, though I later asked his permission to return, when I arrived back in Jerusalem, I learned about Eliashib, Eliashib's evil deed in providing Tobiah with a room in the courtyards of the temple of God. I became very upset and threw all of Tobiah's belongings out of the room. Then I demanded that rooms be purified, and I brought back the articles for God's temple, the grain offerings, and the frankincense. When I was a kid, I, I loved the show Cops. It was probably bad. Like, like, if you think about like a 10-year-old watching that show, that's probably way inappropriate. But also, like, Rescue 911, that was a scary show. That gave me nightmares. I was like eight years old, like... You know, I don't know what my dad, my dad was a cop, so like that stuff was just normal in our house. But I'm picturing like a cop's episode where like there's this domestic and like things are going haywire and the lady's just like throwing everything out of the house. 
And then the cops are coming trying to restore order. Like, hey, maybe you should go somewhere else tonight. That's what I'm picturing here. I also discovered that the Levites had not been given their prescribed portions of food. So they and the singers who were to conduct worship services had all returned to work their fields. I immediately confronted the leaders and demanded why has the temple of God been neglected. Then I called all the Levites back again, restored them to their proper duties, and once more all the people of Judah began bringing their tithes and grain, new wine and olive oil to the temple storerooms. I assigned supervisors for the storerooms, Shalemiah, the priest, Zadok, the scribe, and Padeah, one of the Levites. And I appointed Hanan, son of Zakor, and grandson of Matiniah as their assistant. Dear Lord, help me. These men had an excellent reputation, and it was their job to make honest distributions to their fellow Levites. Now, here's kind of a section. Remember this good deed, oh my God, and do not forget all that I have done, faithfully done for the temple of my God and its service. Nehemiah's like, what's happening here? Oh Lord, remember me. And he'll do this a few times here. We're, we're going to finish this chapter out. In those days, I saw men of Judah treading out their wine presses on the Sabbath. They were also bringing in grain, loading it on donkeys, bringing their wine, grapes, figs, and all sorts of produce to Jerusalem to sell on the Sabbath. So I rebuked them for selling their produce on that day. Some men from Tyre who lived in Jerusalem were bringing in fish and all kinds of merchandise. They were selling it on the Sabbath to the people of Judah and in Jerusalem um, at that. So I confronted the nobles of Judah. Why are you profaning the Sabbath in this evil way, I asked? Why isn't this just... Why isn't it just this sort of thing that your ancestors did that caused our God to bring all the trouble upon us in our city? Now you're bringing even more wrath upon Israel by permitting the Sabbath to be desecrated in this way. So I commanded that the gates of Jerusalem should be shut as darkness fell every Friday evening, not to be opened until the Sabbath ended. I sent some of my own servants to guard the gates so that no merchandise could be brought in on the Sabbath day. The merchants and tradesmen with a variety of wares camped outside of Jerusalem once or twice. But I spoke sharply to them and said, What are you doing out here, camping around the wall? If you do this again, I will arrest you. This, like, this guy means business, and we're going to see that here in a minute. Like, really serious business. Like, weird serious business. And at the last time they came on the Sabbath, then I commanded the Levites to purify themselves and to guard the gates in order to preserve the holiness of the Sabbath. Remember this good deed also, O oh my God. Have compassion on me according to your great and unfailing love. Verse 23. About the same time I realized that some of the men of Judah had married women from Ashad, Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Do you remember verse 1? Ammonites, Moabites were not permitted in. Furthermore, half their children spoke the language of Ashdod or of some other people and could not speak the language of Judah at all. So I confronted them and called down curses on them. I beat some of them and pulled out their hair. I told you. I tried to warn you. This is like watching cops as an eight-year-old. I beat them and pulled out their hair. I mean, thank the Lord that that's not priestly or prophetic duties anymore. I don't even like spanking my own children. I would not be a great teacher in the 70s. 
I made them swear in the name of God, my father-in-law, Doug, he was a teacher, and he's like, well, the first school I ever taught at, he's like, they did spanking, and I had this one kid, and he's like, I didn't know what to do, and he says, he would not behave, I tried everything, so I sent him to the office to get a spanking, I thought, that's just what you did, and that's what I was supposed to do, the principal, he says, sends him back to me, and then I had to give the spankings, he's like, if I knew it was that, I would have never sent him to the office, <laughs> that would have been me. Sometimes my dad, uh, uh, rabbit trail, one, give me one, give me one. All right, this will be the last one. My, my dad, he would work all day, he worked a couple jobs, and my mom uh, would usually uh, tend to us kids. She was a stay-at-home mom. And if I was really bad, uh, she'd kind of deal with it, whatever, and then my dad would get home, and she'd tell him, like, Aaron needs a spanking. Now, now I'm a dad now of four little girls, and, and if I came home and Nicole's like, you need to spank the kids now. Like, whoa, whoa, wait, uh, wait a second. Then you have the issue with them? Why, why am I having to come home from my day and I've missed my kids all day and now I have to come home and spank? So now I can relate to this, but my dad, he'd be like, we'd go in the office, he'd get his belt. He's like, all right, Aaron, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to smack, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to slap the belt and you're going to yell, so make sure you do it at the right timing. Like, ah! He's like, He's like, all right, now make it a good one and, and do this, right? So I can relate. I, I, I would probably be doing the same thing now, as wrong as that probably is in my discipline and in my character building, right? I can get it because the last thing I would want to do coming home from a hard day work is to just now, oh, time to spank the kids now. Then we'll eat dinner together. All right. All right, that's my rabbit trail. So thank the Lord. I don't have to beat you and rip out your hair when you mess up. Thank God for the blood of Jesus. Okay. Wasn't this exactly what led King Solomon of Israel into sin? I demanded. There was no king from any nation who could compare to him, and God loved him and made him king over all Israel. But even he was led into sin by foreign wives. How could you even think of committing this sinful deed and acting unfaithfully toward God by marrying foreign women? One of the sons of Joeda, son of Eliashib, the high priest, had married a daughter of Sanballat, the Horonite. <sighs> so I banished him from my presence. It's a weird storyline. All three of these cats, weird storyline. But it leads to us knowing that we need to change our hearts and need Jesus, right? So, so finishing on here. Remember them, O oh my God, for they have defiled the priesthood and, sol and the solemn vows of the priests and Levites. So I purged out everything foreign and assigned tasks to, to the priests and Levites, making certain that each knew his work. I also made sure that the supply of wood for the altar and the first portions of the harvest were brought at the proper times. Remember this in my favor, O oh my God. All right, everybody say, get your house in order. Get your house in order so somebody doesn't have to beat you and pull out your hair, all right? All right, let me, let me go through some points here. I, I want to back up, and around verse 4 uh, through around that 8 or 9 mark, um, that's, that's where Tobias had been given this, this, this place or this room or this space in the temple, right? And, and it was crazy because basically it lended itself up open to the enemy, and, and I'm here to tell you when we open up our temple, and, and let me just say, like the first point is guard your temple, Guard your temple, also your heart. And the temple, if you go to Corinthians, Paul says that you are the temple, that you house Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that dwells in this. As much as this is a house of God, so are you. So, so am I. 
So the first point is, is guard your heart, guard your temple. And when we open ourselves up, Tobiah was essentially represented the enemy here. He was against the rebuilding of all this. He was against the reestablishment of of Israel, of Jerusalem. And now we're opening up the temple, some of the most sacred places, to the enemy. So what happens is when we open up ourselves to the enemy, it affects everything that you were destined and what this place or a temple was destined to do, including worship. All of a sudden, we open up the realm to the enemy, the storehouses and the the grains and the oils and the wines, all of that then left, people stopped giving. Because let me just tell you this, when the house ain't in order, no one wants to be a part of it anyway. When your house ain't in order and you're you're just all over people around you, no one wants to be around you. And no one wants the Christ that's inside of you. As much as if this house isn't in order and all of a sudden we get this reputation of of stealing money or not not distributing and and meeting people's needs, those who are in poverty or need, right? Or not being outwardly focused. And all of us, like, there's this thing that no one wants to be a part of that anyway. And and we're not trying to raise a ministry so people could just, I would take presents over people any day of the week. We have to do what the Lord wants us to do. But we can become so inwardly focused we're externally bound. At the same time, we could become so externally focused, we're inwardly bound, and we're unhealthy. So, so the first point is just guard your heart. Proverbs 4.23, it says it like this. In one verse, it says, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. That, that thing, that, that guarding ourselves and, and no unpure thing coming in, right? It's not just the temple of God, the house, this, right? Or, or, or the temple of that time. It's also our bodies, we're going to read a verse and at the end, or at times, or just, just so you know, like Paul talks about like your body being a temple and no immoral thing coming in. And in that context, a lot of it is sexual. A lot of it is that sexual impurity, that lust, those things. But he's saying guard it because you're the temple of God. Nicole says it like this. I think her mom said it as well. Trash in, trash out. We monitor what goes into our kids' minds, eyes, ears, what, what music they're listening to. Uh, every once in a while I'll be like who was listening to Eminem what is this and then they'll be like it was just on a different playlist dad I was like well don't play that playlist they're like but dad you were listening to explicit at the fire department I was like I didn't mean to it was an accident (laughs) so it's these things of like guarding our hearts right and as much as this is a house we we are 1 Corinthians 6 19 through 20 Paul says it like this in that context I was mentioning or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. And and, and here's the thing. Maybe his uncle, maybe he was doing a good thing, right? Maybe maybe this was a good thing. Well, he's in need. He's he's poor. Well, even sometimes good deeds are wrong because we get caught up what we should do, what we could do versus what we're called to do. Sometimes even good good deeds distract us. Sometimes good dudes do too. Distract us from what we're called to do like that that's the thing like sometimes we're trying to do good things we're trying to meet the needs of the community a few years ago we said yes to everything we I, we, we coordinated and led hope over heroin there was a declare event there was revive ohio there was like two or three other things all in one summer and we said yes to all of it and what we realized at the end of that we were all dead we were all wiped out and tired and exhausted and fatigued and burnt out to where we didn't even want to come to church anymore. We had done so many events and so many external and outward events, which are good. We need to. But we need to evaluate in your life and in this house of what we're called to do versus what we should and could do. 
There's a lot of shoulds and a lot of coulds. Last week, somebody was having a fun event on a Sunday night, and we preached, we had meetings, we, we, had, we served at youth, I was, I was carting kids around, we got home, it was like 8 o'clock, we're just fixing supper and eating supper, and, and Nicole's like, should we go to that? And I was like, I can't, I'm not doing a should tonight, I just can't do it, because I knew that I was called to other things in the week, and I needed some rest, I needed some time with my family. Let's move on, Se- second point here, moving on to uh, the Levites and, and what is going on. The next point is be generous. Let, let, me, let me just put it to you like this. Generosity does pour into worship. Generosity in itself is a form of worship. If we're not generous, we're, we're robbing God, we're robbing people, and we're robbing ministry. And, I'm, and I am saying, be generous. Listen, things cost money. The kingdom expanding costs money. LifeWise has a budget. And without funds, without provisions, without resources, they can't do what they're called to do. And if we don't give and we have something to give, we're robbing them and we're robbing ourselves and we're robbing God. And if that is the case, then it's a sin. If you have excess and somebody else is in need and you don't give to that need, I personally feel that we're in sin. If we as a church, we've paid, we've paid for uh, other churches to have their air conditioners fixed or, or, or we paid a church to do payroll for a whole month when they, were, when they were struggling. We have excess and somebody has a need. If we're not meeting that need in our excess, then I personally feel we're in sin. And it goes that way because like Corey was saying, everybody has a calling. Everybody, a few weeks ago, he was talking about the fivefold and the giftings and, and, and how this, this goes out. Some people are called to ministry on the platform. Some people are called to fund that platform, and some people are called to do both. There are some business people that, that, that you are called to fund ministries. You are called to fund churches. You are called to fund the gospel going beyond walls. You're, you're called to fund things like LifeWise or Feeding the Hungry or, or all of these amazing things that reveal Christ, right? Acts 20, 32 through 35 says it like this. And now I commend you to, to, to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. He's saying, he's like, hey, like I, I, didn't, I didn't want anything you guys had. And, and matter of fact, I provided for myself and the others around me who were in need. And it says, in all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, who he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to what? It's better to give than receive. And what happened was here in this story, they had stopped giving. So then the Levites and the priests, they all had to go back to the fields to work and they could no longer minister in the house and give the worship that was prescribed and was, what was supposed to be happening. What you do, we tell this to our kids all the time and their choices, their mistakes. What you do affects others. What you don't do affects others, good or bad, right? So, the church costs money. Life-wise, ministries, these things, they, they cost money. And, 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 and there's this thing that we, we are meant to gather. The purpose of the church is really simple. The purpose of the church is to gather and worship, to equip the believers for the work of their ministries, and simply meet the needs of the poor. That's, that's three simple things. We gather, there's community, there's discipleship, we worship together, we equip believers for the work of their ministry, that's biblical, and then we meet the needs of the poor. That's, it's very simple. But let me just tell you, those needs come with a price tag. 
And we need people in their own ministries, in their own way, and ministering in their business realm, in their real estate realm, in their nursing, in their, in, in their teaching, and all of this stuff, to gather the, the provisions to bring into the storehouse so that we can get the gospel out and meet the needs of the poor. All right, ne next point, moving on, Ver point three. All right, now we're talking about the Sabbath. I am actually not going to talk a lot on this. You can hold me to that, I promise. Because we did like an eight-week series on this just a couple months ago. The series concept was simply this. In Exodus, the commandments are given. And throughout the Bible, it talks about the Sabbath. We here invited people on the opportunity to, to, to do Sabbath. Again, it was an invitation. But it's the, and even in the Bible, there's a word. The Bible says that the Sabbath is for you, not as much for him. It's actually for you. It's a blessing for you. It's a blessing for me. And in Exodus, it says, remember the Sabbath. And what? Keep it holy, meaning it's holy. So what happened is, here, here we have this story, and on Sabbath, they started trading and selling and doing market. What happened in the New Testament when Jesus came into the tabernacle and that was happening? Oh, man, he flipped tables. He showed a little emotion that day. He showed a little passion. Let's just call it passion. That's what I call it when, when Nicole and I are arguing. We're passionately having a conversation. Jesus showed some passion that day. He started flipping tables because the temple was desecrated. The temple was turned into something else, and it was being used as a market. Church was never meant to be a business or a market. The church was meant to be a holy place, hosting his presence, glorifying him, gathering people around him. So what happened was these people started putting that, and, and sometimes that's out of fear. Sometimes that's out of, well, I think I could do more, or I need to go on work on this day. I need to, I need to finish up some things because we don't trust that God's going to be effective in our week. Or we don't trust that God's going to be effective in our finances. And so all of a sudden we start taking things in our own hands, and we begin to put idols above God and keeping things holy that were meant to be holy and time set apart that was meant to be for him. And I'm not saying it's, it's Friday sundown to Saturday sundown for everybody. That's, that's not where I'm going with this. I'm saying a time set apart for him where we stop, we rest, we delight, and we worship. Whether that's four hours in an evening or Sunday after church or whatever that looks like for you. But that Sabbath was holy. We're meant to keep it holy. It's that space. It's that time. For them in this context, it was that realm of, of, of Sabbath and that, that time where you're, where you're doing community together and you're worshiping God. Suddenly, all of a sudden, things started going haywire. Let me just tell you this. It's okay to dream. It's okay to even desire wealth and success. But if he's not first in it, he is going to fall and fail and crumble and be meaningless. The only reason he would ever give you wealth is so that you would steward it for him first. Otherwise, it's wicked money. And the Bible says that the love of money is the roots of what? All kinds of evil. All kinds of evil. Next and, and last, last uh, point here. Be equally yoked. Everybody say that. Be equally yoked. All right. So they married outside. That gets really weird, okay? And then at even one point they were saying, in, in one of these sections, they're like, okay, then divorce. But yet divorce isn't in the context of the Bible either. So some of this gets really weird. The point is, I believe they were marrying and lying and sleeping with the enemy. They were exposing and opening themselves up to the enemy. It, it, wasn't, uh, it wasn't this thing to where uh, the, the, of a relational issue to the person as much as it was the, the essence and the symbolism of evil, of sin. We see it in Solomon. Solomon lusted, so he just married women. And by the way, the context of marrying women in this time was sleeping with them. 
okay? So he would marry these women. It started off a little bit of strategy, maybe pure, and, and then all of a sudden it became less. And it says, it literally says that it was Solomon's downfall. It was a thing that led his heart astray, sleeping with these and marrying these, 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 these women, these pagan women. Now, now here, here's the thing. I, I believe, like, there's this, there's this depth of this because within one generation, they could no longer speak the language, which meant they could not read the word of God at that time. Think of the depth of that. They went outside, and, and rather than submitting to the law of the time, now, thankfully, that's not the law of this time, okay? Marry who you want. Just make sure they're equally yoked. doesn't matter what country they're from, where, where they're at. I, I don't care. Even if they're from Michigan, it's fine, Okay? <laughs> I'll just keep you on your toes. But they have to be equally yoked. Let, let me read this version in, in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 6. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the Passion Translation because I felt like it gave this literacy. But first, ESV says it like this, so we may be more used to hearing this. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Now, now, I'm going to read the, te- the Passion Translation here in a second. We're not talking about going out, being friendly, revealing Christ, ministering, pouring out, right? We're talking about literal partnership, whether it be marriage, a business partnership, things where we align hearts and sometimes souls even, even physical connections, which is a soul connection. That's what we're talking about here, where we're making an oath with one another, we're making a commitment, a covenant with one another. It says, do not be only equally yoked. Here's what the Passion Version says. It says, don't continue to team up with unbelievers in mismatched alliances. For what partnership is there between righteousness and rebellion? So, so here's what's happening. They're, all of a sudden, in one generation, this happens. They didn't submit to the law. They didn't follow through. They were not obedient. Even though last week we said, listen, they promised to do this, right? All the way back to Moses. Now, all of a sudden, they're sleeping with the enemy. They're lying down with the enemy. What's that look like in our lives? What? Because let me just tell you this. It doesn't go straight to sex, okay? Samson did not just go straight to Delilah. He started with compromise. He started dabbling with the grapes and, and the jawbone of a donkey to do a righteous thing, but he wasn't to touch unclean or dead animals. See, sin doesn't start straight at the gusto. It starts with the little compromises. It's the little lies. It's the little embellishes. It's the little things. An affair doesn't start with just in bed. An affair starts with that little look, that little whisper of affirmation or, wow, you look great today, or that little gift or that thing and, or that, that eye that, that caught my eye. This week there was a guy at work, and they, he said, man, she's hot. I was like, hey, watch it. You're taken. He's like, I can look. And, and he said, well, she wasn't wearing a ring. I said, you're doing more than looking if you're evaluating a finger. Starts with a look, right? I'll call him out on it. He pushed back a little. It was fun, but hey. It starts with that look. It starts with that little compromise. And then all of a sudden, Samson lost his strength. And it wasn't because of just sleeping with Delilah. It was all the things leading up to that. Solomon, same thing. It's that look. And then all of a sudden, we're raising children it starts with that thing of just missing a Sunday. Then all of a sudden, we'll just go occasionally. Then all of a sudden, you know, we're not going to go anymore. What's that leave the next generation with their value of church? It leaves them nine out of ten not stepping into a church. That's what it leads to. And then we have to have these ministries. I wish we didn't have to have LifeWise. 
Wouldn't that be an amazing thing if, if we lived in a culture in such a way that everybody in every school system and every curriculum included the gospel and the good news and the Bible truths? We're not in that culture. Let's move on. Uh, the band can come. All right. I'm going to read the rest of 2 Corinthians 16. I'm going to be in verse 15 and 8 through 18. It's going to summarize from, from Paul's heart here of, of really where Nehemiah was, okay? Who could mingle light with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and Satan? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What friendship does God's temple have with demons? For indeed, we are the temple of the living God, just as God has said. I will make my home in them and walk among them. I will be their God, and they will be my people. For this reason, come out from among them and separate, says the Lord. Touch nothing that is unclean, and I will embrace you. I will be a true father to you. Remember a few weeks ago, he is a good father. It says, and you will be my beloved sons and daughters. I love that. You know you're a beloved son. You are a beloved daughter picture that. Zephaniah 317, he rejoices and delights over you. He sings over you. It says the Lord God Almighty, Yahweh. I, I, I have this conviction, you know, we're, we're getting ready to build and we're getting ready to expand um, if all goes well. <laughs> uh, we're, we're running uh, through some finances, pressing into some faith. And um, what good is an expansion if Christ isn't in the center of it? What, what good is a bigger sanctuary, you know, nearly double this size, if it's not with seeking him first? What good is our worship if our ministry is not unto him first? What good are the other ministries if our first ministry isn't him? And that's worship. Worship is our ministry unto the Lord. Preaching's for me. <laughs> Worship's for him. But here's the thing, like, like we have this temple, we have, we have this thing, and, you know, the points today of, of guarding it, making, protecting, preserving it, and, and I'm speaking metaphorically, too, over my heart. What, what's my point on earth if I'm not seeking him, I'm pursuing righteousness, I'm putting him first? Let me just tell you this, this isn't my first ministry, it's not my priority of ministries. Mine is unto him first, and, and my connection with him next, then my family, my wife and kids. That, those are, that's my priority. This right here, this is the overflow. Me being a lieutenant at a fire department, that's, that's the overflow. That's, that's a vehicle that carries an anointing, but let me just tell you this. My family should get that first priority of that anointing. But there's things that I have to do to, to make sure that I'm healthy. There's things I have to do to make sure that, that that Holy Spirit's dwelling in me and he's taking precedence in my heart and in my life. I have to seek him first. I have to guard my heart. It's the wellspring of life. I, I, have, to, I have to make sure no evil thing comes in. That, that temptation, that, that even those little looks, I, I look the other way. Because the moment I look, it's, it's going to draw, draw me in. I remember being in, in driver's ed, and I was driving with our, my instructor just in this neighborhood over here, about by your house, Matt. And I remember, like, veering over to the cars, and I was looking, and I was afraid I was getting close. He's like, and he grabbed his wheel, and he's like, Rawr! and it scared me. And he's like, wherever you look, that's where you'll go. And I never forgot that. Wherever your eyes go, that's where you're going to bring your car. When I teach my kids how to ride a bike, wherever your eyes are, that's where you're going to go. When you're running, when you're walking, wherever your eyes are, that's where you're going to go. <laughs> I had somebody run into me the other day. You're like, 
hey, excuse me. But wherever their eyes were going, that's where, that's where they were going. Man, why don't you stand with me? Say this, say, I'm getting my house in order. Come on, say it like you mean it. Say it to your neighbor, I'm getting my house in order. Now, now hold them accountable, look at them, say, get your house in order. Now everybody, I want you to say this. We're pressing into some of these messages because I don't want a new building for the sake of a new building. I, I don't want to expand for the sake of expanding. I don't... It's not about upgrading sound or that. I, I, I want a place of his presence. I want a place where God is, he is the precedence. He is, he is the priority, right? That, that's, that's what we're building here. But I feel there's some things we got to get in order before we build it. First Timothy 3.5 talks about if your house isn't in order, you can't actually even lead in the church. Your kids, your house, things aren't in order. Your priority needs to be there. It can't even be leading in the ministries of the church. There's some things here that we need to do to say, hey, hey, we're, we're protecting the storerooms. We're, we're keeping the enemy out. It's not time to sleep with other idols and things and, and, and discredit the, the Sabbath and put money and stuff and fear and all those things above the things of, of God. So everybody say this. Say, we're getting this church in order. We're getting this house in order. 